summertime. Sweet summertime. It's time for people to take vacations and get sunburned. Get slaughtered. <laughs> and wait for spooky season. Spooky season. Uh, you're a couple months away from that. Listen, there's no time like the present. <laughs> and the present is now. <laughs> well, this week we have a serial killer who loved to travel. Mm. He did like to travel. He was a planner. Yeah, his whole his whole M.O. was travel. Mm-hmm. As you guys will soon find out. Is he very cultured? Planes, trains, automobiles. Maybe not trains, but yeah. I don't know. More, more cruise ships and rental cars. Yeah. That was his, that was his bag. <laughs> or kit, should I say. His, yeah, his kit. But yeah. Um, happy Summer of Slaughter. Happy Summer too. of Slaughter. Before anything else. We're doing serial killers if you haven't caught on yet. Yeah. All sorts we have of a great lineup of yes, some real I'm, heavy hitters. I'm really excited mm-hmm. about this one. We we wanted to do it as a theme this time. So. Well, we kind of did a theme last year. It was all summer-related things. How many things. summer things could I ruin for everybody? All of them. Everything. <laughs> Girl Scout camps. Mm. Amusement parks. Amusement parks. Bar- Roadside barbecues. Bar- yep. <laughs> It, that was the that was the trend last year. This year, serial killers. Serial killers. So some so, some that we have heard of, and some you've never heard of. Maybe we only know. have one episode that is not a serial killer, but is a it's a great but slaughter. It might be. Could be. We don't know. It was never solved. But Ooh. that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Israel Keys. Yes. Sam, take it away. I had actually never even heard of Israel Keys until I started watching, or uh, not watching, listening to Crime Junkie like three, four years ago. Uh, he's a doozy. This yeah, dude, I was like, whoa. This dude is a monstrous he piece of shit. He is a gift that keeps on giving. He's a real piece of shit. <laughs> um, that takes a lot for you to say that. Yeah. You'll... C- <laughs> He is all right. So I spent today watching about four hours of Israel Keys interrogation footage. You watch all the five parts. I watched as much as I could handle. There's like a five part. Um, this dude's fucking laugh. Yes, (laughs) bro. He reminds me of the fucking bad guy. From uh, Billy Madison. Oh, no. Just this weaselly fuck. He weirds me out. Who, the bad guy from Billy Madison or no, Israel Keys? Keys. So, well, yes, but. <laughs> like, I, the laugh. The laugh is just the most obnoxious shit. He laughs at all of his own jokes. Well, someone has to think he's funny. Yeah, I mean, he self-validates really fucking hard. But, mm-hmm. uh. If he doesn't do it, I love him. Jokes too. I mean, same. I'm fucking hilarious. No, I mean, this is like, it's not even his own jokes. It's like he's laughing at the cops that are interrogating him and shit. Oh, like, haha, you can't get me. He's like, I think I'm done talking for today, unless you get me an Americano. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm really wanting a cigar today. <laughs> 
Ugh. Yeah, just a smug bastard. He's been called one of the most ambitious and terrifying serial killers in modern history. Ooh. Some, like... That's a lot to live up to. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. So, hopefully... I, like, this guy that wasn't caught... It was, like, back in, like, 2011 or something. And I'm like, what was I doing in 2011 that I didn't hear about a serial killer? Like, I don't understand what well, rock I was fucking living under. Everybody acted like this, dude. Because I remember hearing about him on Nancy Grace. Because I fucking can't stand her. And it was just on... At whatever place I was at. Oh, I can't fucking stand her. She She's prophetized off of death more than any serial killer that's ever written a book. Uh, but Same over here, she was judging. acting like he was a fucking evil genius mastermind. And I'm like, this dude's kind of a pussy. As we will find out later on. <laughs> um, he did not fulfill the, the true metamorphosis of a serial killer. No butterfly effect? No. Just a fucking... Lowly caterpillar. Yeah, lowly caterpillar. Lowly caterpillar. So, sometimes it was difficult to, like, go in chronological order. Because while, yes, he's one of the more well-known, I guess, serial killers, he only officially confessed to three of the murders, but claims to have many more. And it took quite some time to get everything in order as, like, best I could. Because every article, like, hopped around. And be like, oh, we're talking about this, 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 and this. And, oh, yeah, back in 2007, he did this. And I'm like, well, I just read something about 2011. Like, why are we we backtracking? Can we just, like, I don't care how out of order it gets. The problem is every article I read about this is formatted like a Dateline episode. Yeah. Where it starts with his last murder first yeah. and then like backtracks and jumps around. It, it's annoying. It It's a pain in the ass to like basically stitch everything together mm-hmm. like a ransom note. Literally. Uh, I don't like that. I like everything in a nice, neat little list. Give me a timeline. Yes, give me a time. So that's what I tried to do. And hopefully it works. Israel Keys was born in Richmond, Utah on January 7th, 1978. He is the second of 10 born to Heidi and John Jeffrey Keys. His childhood was not conventional whatsoever, as most serial killers' childhoods aren't. He grew up in a Mormon family. His parents didn't believe in government interference, public schools, or modern medicine. Israel was a toddler when his family decided to leave Utah and move to the Aladdin Road area of Colville, Washington. They became friends with the family of Chevy Kehoe, and they attended a Christian identity church. They lived fairly isolated in the woods, and he grew up without heat or electricity. And honestly, I understand why he became a serial killer, because I'd be pissed too. You know who... Chevy Kehoe is, right? No. No. So they were, I believe, wrapped up with Timothy McVeigh. Really? Yeah, the Kehoe brothers. Oklahoma City? Yeah. I want to say that. Like, that name sounds really familiar around that case to me. Hmm. So. I did not know that. Yeah. 
While they lived in Washington, Heidi and John Jeffrey left the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and became fundamentalist Christians and joined a white supremacy church. We're, we are just off to a, a great start. Well, wow. at least there wasn't a history of abuse. <laughs> well, he lived in the woods without heat or electricity. You're telling me that's not abuse? <laughs> well, there's people that do that every day. <laughs> well, that's abuse. I don't enjoy that. Um, they were members of Latter-day Saints, and now they're members of a white supremacy church. This might be the new serial killer trifecta. Nope. <laughs> Basically living in isolation with nothing. It's a cult. Yeah. They were in a cult. Yeah. Well, call your dad. You're in a cult. <laughs> call your dad. You're in a cult. <laughs> My and- dad's dead. Break that onto a new Creeps in the Crypt shirt. Call your dad you're in a cult. Well, that's from My Favorite Murder. I know. So uh, I don't know if we can do that. I can't do that. No, but I do love uh, Karen and Georgia. I thought you just came up with that. Okay. Yeah, I did. I was, like, I was like, damn, Sam's brilliant. She's still are brilliant. Are you telling me I'm not? No, you're still brilliant. <laughs> in the late 90s, the Keys relocated again to Maupin, Oregon. And then made the cross-country move and lived near the Amish in Maine. Who would not want to live next to the Amish? They don't have heat or electricity. From what I can tell, the Keys family basically changed religions like underwear. Pretty much. Yeah, that that's the big takeaway from this. Well, I don't know if they actually were like became Amish. They just lived near them. I don't know if they ever like. Adopted the Amish ways. Well, they might not have adopted the Amish ways. I don't see Israel churning butter, but... No. Yeah, no. I mean, still, they, they changed religions quite a bit, yes. as we'll come to find out. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But this didn't deter Israel from breaking into neighbors' homes to steal guns. He loved hunting. He would pursue, quote, anything with a heartbeat and torture animals Israel Keys admitting to gutting a deer while it was still alive. He also tortured a family cat. He tied the animal to a tree before he wounded it with a twenty-two revolver. So, the whole story with the cat, um, I found out, was the cat was kept jumping into the trash. It kept getting into the trash constantly. And Israel told his sister... If you don't get that cat from stop jumping in the trash, we're going to take it out and shoot it. And he did. And they he took his sister and a friend of his up when they when he shot the cat and the friend vomited out of disgust. Mm. I would too, fucker. When he was 18, Israel Keys had already decided that he was going to move on to hunt, hunting and hurting and killing people. While in custody, Israel said, quote, I've known since I was 14 that there were things that that I thought were normal and that were okay that nobody else seemed to think were normal and okay, end quote. When Israel was a teenager, he went to his parents and told them that he no longer shared their faith. John Jeffrey cut ties with Israel, but he remained close to Heidi, his mom. In July of 1998, Israel joined the U.S. Army and actually did well as a soldier. 
He did get one DUI when he was in the army, but that was that was really it. He spent time in Egypt, Fort Hood in Texas, and Fort Lewis in Washington. Fort Hood always has a great track record when you hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, great. I hear great things. Yeah. That was sarcasm. That one got on. <laughs> he was honorably discharged in July of 2001 and then lived on the uh, Macaw? Maca? Maca? Anyway, reservation with the mother of his daughter. So he, I, think that he, I think she was born in 2001 also when he moved. Um, Anchorage detective Monique Dahl described Israel Keys as, quote, living this kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde lifestyle. The dude had mastered compartmentalization. For real. He compartmentalized every aspect of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, In 2007, Israel Keys moved to Alaska to live with a nurse practitioner that he'd been dating. He started his own construction business called Keys Construction that same year. Israel didn't have a specific type of victim profile to avoid detection and connection to each of his victims. So he just didn't, he didn't kill like blondes or brunettes or like prostitutes, sex workers, whatever. Um, yeah, the normal MO is they kill sex workers, yeah. people that wouldn't be missed. Right, homeless people, um, but, uh, migra- not migrants. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's... that's that un- the, on the transient. Transient is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, that was the word. Um, so he, I mean, he would just be like, um, you. It was literally uh, the ultimate predator opportunistic killer. I will say that about him. Yeah, he's not. He didn't have an MO. He didn't mm-hmm. have like a calling card. He mm-hmm. wasn't... He was sheer process. Well, the only thing I think that was kind of the same in some of them, more often than not, I guess, he would lie in wait in parks and cemeteries and campgrounds. Um, He told police, quote, not as much to choose from in a manner of speaking, but there's also no witnesses, really. There's no one else around. He would dispose of the bodies far from where he killed them to add some distance between him and the crimes. So it would be like, I'm going to kill you here and I'm going to drive you 15 minutes down the road. So they don't. And so I'm not there and I'm not here and I'm out. Um, Israel Keyes' first planned attack was in Oregon in 1997, 1998, depending on what source material you read. Um, He kidnapped a teenage girl and sexually assaulted her. The girl was between 14 and 18. Israel Keyes managed to discreetly separate her from her friends who were tubing on the Deschutes River near Maupin, Oregon. I almost said Georgia. We, We don't know if the girl ever reported the assault, but that instance left a mark on Israel Keyes. He planned on killing her, but she convinced him to let her go. Israel Keyes told investigators, quote, I wasn't violent enough. I made up my mind I was never going to let that happen again, end quote. Israel was also not opposed to traveling to murder people. In June of 2011, he flew to Chicago and then drove to Vermont, 
when Keyes was passing through Burlington to go fishing, he decided to dig up a five-gallon bucket he'd buried several years earlier that held zip ties, ammo, guns, silencers, Drano, and duct tape to begin his search for potential victims, which we will circle back to those buckets. I'm going to pull a Jen It's like a treasure hunt. Literally. You went on a treasure hunt. Nice. <laughs> Keys. It's a scavenger hunt. <laughs> we're taking it. You're taking it full circle, aren't you, Eric? You're like, we're not going to put summer activities. Oh, into I was this. referring to the Jinsaki comment. <laughs> oh, I said I'm full of Jinsaki. Let's no. circle back. Yeah. Let's circle back to that. Let's circle back. Um, Israel came upon the home of Bill and Lorraine Courier a little after midnight after walking on foot from his nearby hotel. They were chosen because they had no children, no pets, in an attached garage. He'd cut open, or he'd cut the couple's phone line and broke into the home's attached garage and soon made his way into the kitchen in what he called a blitz attack that only took a matter of seconds. Israel made his way into the couple's bedroom where he, he found them asleep. The couple woke up to see a man dressed in all black wearing a headlamp, Armed with a gun, he tied the couple up with zip ties and quizzed them on details of their home, including whether they had a safe, where their ATM cards were, and whether or not they had a gun. Israel took the handgun Lorraine had kept for protection along with their cell phones and then forced the couple to get into their own vehicle before driving them to an abandoned home he'd scouted out earlier. Once there, he tied Bill to a stool in the basement of the abandoned property while he left Lorraine in the car. When he returned, he saw Lorraine had escaped from the front seat of the car and was trying to run to the main road, but he tackled her and dragged her into a bedroom of the home, tying her arms and legs to the bed. Bill shouted, where's my wife? Where's my wife? When Israel came, went down to check on him, he discovered he had worked himself partway free. And Israel said, quote, that pissed me off. He was telling investigators and during his confession, because there's a specific way I want things done. And I have the whole thing planned out. I have everything I need to do it. End quote. He reminds me a lot of BTK. He's kind of like OCD. <clears throat> well, BTK's whole thing was like methodically planned out. He compartmentalized everything. Mm hmm. Now, there, there's staunch differences, but you do get a, like a little tinge of BTK vibes with this. Mm -hmm. Bonding, torturing, killing. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Um, the fact that this couple got out of their restraints threw the whole plan off. Right. So he had to improvise, which fucking ruined the whole experience for him. Yeah. I'd be pissed, too. After discovering Bill had altered his plans, Israel told investigators he, quote, lost control and struck him with a shovel repeatedly before taking out a gun and fatally shooting him multiple times. Israel returned to the bedroom where he cut Lorraine's clothes with a knife and sexually assaulted her twice. During the sexual assault, Israel strangled Lorraine to the point where she lost consciousness. He then brought her to the basement to see her husband's bloody corpse. After sitting her down on a bench, he strangled her from behind with a rope, ending her life. 
Israel doused the bodies with Drano and then tossed them into a corner in the basement, covering them with debris before he left. Israel took the couple's car to a nearby parking lot where he already had left his rental car and switched vehicles before driving off. The crime would continue to baffle investigators for months, leaving them little to go on but the broken window into the home and no sign of the missing couple. Their bodies would never be recovered. Damn. So this came out like when Israel Keys confessed to this Mm. uh, with the Vermont police. And we'll get more into that later. But the house had been demolished like a couple months earlier. That sucks. And the workers said that they could smell like decay. Mm hmm. Like a decomp, mm-hmm. but they didn't like go down in the basement and check. They just tore the house down and put everything in the truck because they thought it was like a dead animal or something. Right. Like wandered into the farmhouse and died. Right. So they just like demolished the house, scooped everything up and sent it to the landfill. And the cops had to like dig through this landfill, but the bodies were just too far gone. They never found them. Damn. That sucks. He even took his travels international to Canada, Mexico, and Belize, where he may also have victims. He would pay in cash and take the battery out of his cell phone as he traveled so he couldn't be tracked. Israel Keys put a lot of details into his plans. He bounced all over the country to hide kill kits that consisted of guns, ammo, and chemicals to destroy the body like Drano and Lye. These kits offered him the luxury of not having to risk boarding a plane with a weapon or using a credit card that could tie him to an area where he killed someone. Whenever he got the urge to kill, he would simply dig up one of these kits and find his next target. Israel Key said that he had up to 12 of these kill kits buried all across the country and that they could hold evidence in other unsolved murders. Now, you may be wondering... How did Israel Keys afford all this travel? Well, he had another thing he liked to do besides serial killing. He was also a bank robber. No way. Yeah. I didn't read that anywhere. There's uh, closed circuit footage of him like wearing disguises, robbing banks and shit. Like he's got like a glued on beard in one. He's wearing like a, a... a mask, like um, a work mask. Yeah. When it was in 95s. Yeah. And another telling people to get on the ground and like, give me all your money. So that's how he, he bankrolled his serial killing spree is by bank robbing. <laughs> okay. So. He well, thought everything out. Literally everything. Well, he, would, he would like go to these small towns and wait till the cops were like busy doing something Mm-hmm. And then go in. Took their lunch break. Yeah, like, or there'd be a big call, like a fire or something. Mm-hmm. And he'd always pick a town that had, like, multiple exits. So he would he would go in and rob a bank and then get the fuck out of there. All in a rental car, wearing a disguise. Like. How'd he get a rental car with just cash? Well, I mean. This was also late. No, the right? rental cars were done in his name. But he was doing the rental cars hundreds if not thousands of miles away from where he was committing uh, the crimes fair so it's like he he flies because not all this shit was in his name like all his that's what that's how they've kind of like connected where all his shit is is through his flight logs 
because he didn't use an alias. He used his own identity to fly to like Chicago. Yeah. Texas, Sacramento, all these places. And then he would like drive thousands of miles on some of these trips in a rental car, bring it back to wherever he rented mm-hmm. it from and then fly home. That's crazy. That is dedication to murder. Yeah. He also studied the work of FBI profilers and learned about serial killers such as Ted Bundy. Maureen Callahan's book back in 2009 called American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. She said that he'd been fitted with a gastric band and he'd visited a plastic surgery clinic in Mexico. She thought that he might have been trying to become a better serial killer. A lap band could mean that he wouldn't get as hungry as often. And it's rumored that he even tried to change his fingerprints and remove body hair so he could lessen his chances of leaving evidence behind. Which, obviously, you can't change your fingerprints. I mean, you could, like, cut them. All right. So, for somebody that didn't want to leave evidence behind, he had long hair. Yeah. So, he he obviously wasn't too, too concerned about that. And he's concerned one of his pubes would be left. So, he got waxed. Lasered off. (laughs) Laser my dick. (laughs) But oh, Israel, laser dick keys. No. <laughs> no. Why does that sound like a supervillain? It, it was a, well, he kind of is. Uh, <laughs> botched laser surgery on his dick. He's like, my dick's covered in scars. Ew. Do, do you want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> no. If his dick hole is smiling, I'm scared. <laughs> we have nightmares about mama, that. Mama liked to join cults. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't go on any further. No, please. No. Don't. As per usual, most serial killers get too confident, and inevitably, they make a mistake. Prior to February first, two thousand twelve. Israel Keys had selected the Common Grounds coffee stand located on Tudor Road for the site of abduction. He did this after considering other coffee stands, but chose Common Grounds because of its location and because it was open later than other coffee stands. The whole thing with, like, up until this point, he has traveled for every kill. Mm-hmm. He did this one in his own backyard, and I think it was constantly to up the ante. Like, the whole reason was adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. So he would rob banks because it gave him a rush. Mm -hmm. He would do these kills because it gave him a rush. Mm -hmm. And eventually that that itch wasn't getting scratched anymore. You know what I mean? He had to keep upping the ante. And he's even said in in the interrogation, I knew better than to do it in my own that close to home. Like, he straight up says, I knew better than to do it that close to home. I knew I was going to get caught. But he did it anyway. He did. Fucking did it anyway. Israel had never met or seen Samantha Koenig before, as per usual. He approached the coffee stand just prior to closing time, wearing a ski mask, and ordered a coffee. Samantha made the coffee and handed it to Israel, and then he pulled out a gun and demanded money. Samantha complied, and then Israel forced himself inside the coffee stand and tied Samantha's hands with zip ties. This is weird. I feel like I'm talking about myself. 
He asked where her car was, and she told him that she didn't have a vehicle. Israel then forcibly walked her out of the coffee stand and toward Tudor Road. So, in the in the coffee common grounds coffee, it's like a, a little like it's a shack. Yeah, it's literally like a walk up. There's room for like one person in there. It's like a kiosk. Yeah, it's like an all enclosed kiosk. Basically, it's yeah. tiny, and the owner has two, uh, two or three uh, security cameras, and you can see so there's two that are inside the mm-hmm. little shack, and there's a video footage from that night, and she's literally just like making the, just no sound. She's just making the coffee, and like she turns around, and like you just see her like put her hands up. What? And like you see her like talking to the person, but you don't see him, not mm-hmm. yet anyway. Um, and he like makes her turn the lights out and then she gets money from the drawer and then he like climbs into the little shack and makes her walk out. It's, it's almost more terrifying because I don't hear anything. It's like a silent movie almost. It's, he orders his Americano and then tells her to put all the money in the bag. Samantha broke away from Israel and tried to run away. Israel chased her and tackled her to the ground. He put one arm around her and pointed a gun at her body with the other hand, telling her that she needed to cooperate. That gun had a very quiet ammo and that she could not do anything to make him kill her. They walked across Tudor Road into the parking lot between the IHOP restaurant and Dairy Queen, where Israel's white truck was parked. Israel had previously prepared the truck for the abduction by taking the mounted toolboxes off of the bed of the truck, as well as removing the license plates. Israel then bound Samantha in the truck and drove away. Keyes drove around town, explaining to Samantha that this was a kidnapping for ransom. Samantha told Israel that her family did not have much money and that Israel was not likely going to get much in ransom. He explained that they will raise money for the ransom by seeking the public's help. He convinced Samantha that if she cooperated, she would be returned to her family unharmed. And Samantha believed Israel and tried to talk him, talk to him in effort to convince him to release her. Well, as we learned with the Manson family murders, mm-hmm. you never tell them you're going to kill them. No. Like, the, like that's where they fucked up with. The Sharon Tate thing. Um, but then when they went out to kill again, they're like, it, it, we're holding you for ransom. Yeah. So, because they didn't want anybody to panic. We're not going to kill you. We're just robbing you. Type of shit. Yeah. I'm just going to assume that I'm going to die. At some point on the drive, Israel realized that Samantha did not have her cell phone, which was necessary for his plan to demand ransom money by sending a text message from her phone. He drove back to Common Grounds and re-entered the coffee stand, leaving Samantha bound in his truck. He retrieved his cell phone and got back into the truck and drove away. He drove to another part of town where he sent two text messages from Samantha's phone. The first message was to Samantha's boyfriend and the second to the owner of Common Grounds. The text messages made it appear that Samantha had just had a bad day and was leaving town for the weekend. 
Israel then took the battery out of Samantha's phone, and he asked Samantha for her debit card. Samantha told Keyes that she shared a bank account with her boyfriend and that it's his ATM card that was in the truck that they shared. Samantha told Keyes where her house was and gave him the PIN number to the ATM card. Israel put Samantha in the shed in front of his house, bound her, and turned the radio up in the shed so no one would hear her if she screamed. He also told her that he had a police scanner and would know if she attempted to alert the neighbors. Keyes drove to Samantha's house and retrieved the ATM card from her truck. While he was at Samantha's, he was confronted by her boyfriend, who yelled at him and then went back into the house to get some help. Israel ran back to his truck and left the area before he could be found. He drove to an ATM machine to test the PIN number provided by Samantha. Keyes poured himself a glass of wine as he returned to his shed, turned the radio on so his girlfriend and young daughter who were inside the house next door wouldn't hear any screams, and then sexually assaulted Samantha and asphyxiated her. He choked her. Within, like, I think it was, like, an hour or two of him taking her. What? Man moves quick. Yeah. Israel left her in the shed and then went back inside his house where he packed for a pre-planned cruise that he was taking from Narlands. He left early that morning, which is February 2nd, for the cruise. Yeah, because that's what you want to do when you have a dead girl in your shed. Mm-hmm. Is go on a cruise. Well, it was cold, so... They wouldn't smell her. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. That's, it's Alaska cold. He's a real piece of shit. Yeah, he is. But happy summer slaughter. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's going and drinking margaritas after he just On the raped Lido and deck. murdered a girl. Israel returned to Anchorage on February 17th, 2012. He then began preparing a ransom note that demanded money to be placed in the account connected with the ATM card. He went into the shed and retrieved Samantha's body. He applied makeup to Samantha's face, frozen and lifeless, before unsettingly sewing her eyes open with fishing line to give her the appearance of being alive and took a Polaroid picture of her tied up. The amount... Of balls on this fucking dude. I've seen that photo. It's horrific. It is a horrific fucking photo. Mm, I don't want to say that. Um, like, I saw that photo before I saw what Smith looked like alive. And, and you was, can tell. Yeah. Well, well, yes. Now that I know it. But at first I was like, why does she look like that? And then, then I was like, oh, that's. She's not alive. She did. Her dead. Her dead dead. She, her didn't gone. Yeah, it took a second, but I was like, wait a minute, it doesn't look right. Well, the the eyes look lifeless. Yeah, it horrific, and it's like a um, there's a the day's newspaper attached to it, like not attached to, it, but like in the photo, like next to her. It's like her face, and then the today's paper. <laughs> the fact that he like took the the detail to apply makeup which you can't just apply any makeup to a corpse you have to have special fucking makeup to do that he's just using his girlfriend's makeup (laughs) i mean he might have he might he might not have known that but yeah they use like special makeup uh for cadavers it's very thick yeah he photocopied the photo 
and using a manual typewriter he purchased, typed a ransom demand for $30,000 on the back of the photo. After preparing the note and photo, he placed it in Connor's Bog Park under memorial flyer of a dog named Albert. Who names their dog Albert? Maybe he was fat. The park's name is fucking confusing. Connor's Bog Dog Park? Like... Oh, is it a dog park? Yeah. I'm assuming. Maybe not. I don't know. Dog Park. That is Connor's Connor's Bog Dog. That's a tongue They should have just named it Connor's Dog Park and called it a day. Anyway, then using Samantha's cell phone, he texted her boyfriend in substance that the ransom note was under Albert in Connor's Bog Park. The note was recovered by Anchorage Police Department. In the days that followed, Israel dismembered Samantha's body and drove out to the Matanuska? Matan, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That lake. You got it. Matanuska Lake? Cool. If I didn't, don't tell me. Nailed it. (laughs) Where he cut a hole in the ice and put her body in the lake. He later told FBI that he had cut a hole in the frozen lake under the guise of ice fishing. Here's what's real fucked up. He even built, like, the little hut that they do for ice fishing. That is such dedication. I cannot relate. It gets better. Then he caught some fish. So he was hungry. He caught some fish and took them home and cooked them and fed them to his family. All Fantastic. I can imagine is this poor girl's body with her eyes wide open, just sewn open around. with fishing yeah, line, ro- like floating around underneath. Probably the Alaskan same fishing lake. line that uh, he used to sew her eyes open. Perfect. Mm. Love that. Full circle, dude. Keep it full circle all the time. Multi-purpose. <laughs> Her remains were discovered in April of 2012. Ugh. Yeah. I guess whenever the lake thawed out. If it uh, No, they, they actually had a diving team go in. Ugh. No, thank you. Meanwhile, Samantha's father, James Koenig, deposited reward money, which had been generously donated by members of the community, into the account connected with Samantha's ATM card. The plan was to attempt to catch the perpetrator by tracking any withdrawals. ATM withdrawals were made in Anchorage and then in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. Authorities were able to determine that the perpetrator of these withdrawals was driving a white Ford Focus. The FBI and the Texas Rangers tracked the ATM withdrawals as they occurred, which I don't want the Texas Rangers coming after me, man. No, their their opening line is, y'all boys ready to go to jail? That's how they pull you over. <laughs> like you, d- you don't don't mess with Texas. You don't you don't mess with Texas. I love Texas. Ultimately, Corporal Brian Henry of the Texas Highway Patrol pulled over a white Ford Focus matching the description. Israel was driving. Henry, along with Texas Ranger Steve Rayburn, obtained enough information during the traffic stop to search the Ford Focus. Samantha's cell phone was found in the car, and the ATM card was found in Israel's wallet. So what's fucking hilarious about this whole deal is while Israel was bouncing around from Arizona to Texas and New Mexico and shit, um, he realized that they were prob- they had probably made the car, right? Yeah. So he stops at another rental company 
the same one he rented the Ford Focus from in the first place, but all they had was another white Ford Focus. <laughs> so he tried to, he's like, oh yeah, this one's making some noise or some shit. Like, well, all we have is another white Ford Focus. Fuck. <laughs> so he's like, oh, all right. Fuck. <laughs> That's funny. Before he was captured, he spent time with his mom and some siblings. His father had already passed at this point. Um, so while he was in Texas, he did this. His sister tried to get him to reconsider his atheism, and his response to her and the pastor that was present was, quote, you don't know the depths of darkness that I've gone to. You don't know what I've done. He was actually in Texas for his sister's wedding. And yeah. him and the pastor got into it at mm -hmm. the wedding. And he, like, ruined the fucking wedding. <laughs> and that's how he spent his last weekend as a free man. Well, you win some, you lose some. Israel Keys was arrested and brought back to Alaska. He was... When he was confronted with evidence linking him to Samantha's disappearance, he confessed. Her murder was unusual for him. He told law enforcement that he'd been feeling out of control and said, quote, back when I was smart, I would let them come to me. While he was in jail, he talked about killing, quote, less than a dozen, but used his own blood to draw 12 skulls which is speculated to represent 11 victims and then Israel Keys himself. Oh, man, how fucking edgy is this, dude? Ew, I saw the skull drawings in blood, and they are not good. Well, I mean, they were done from an, an open wound. He probably, like, cut his finger open. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely finger-painted. Uh, yeah, finger-painted blood skulls. Have you seen the pictures of them? Oh, yeah. They're fucking weird. They look like a <laughs> five-year-old drew them. Yeah. <laughs> I think my four-year-old could do better. Most he was he was great at building a deck, but his art was a little uh, lacking. lacking. <laughs> he does love he loves him some hearts and crafts. He likes to sew. He likes to paint. Jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> well, he was master for a while. Israel Keys claimed that he took at least five other lives, but never named his victims. According to him, he murdered four people in Washington state, a couple in between 2001 and 2005, and then two separate victims in 2005 and 2006. Then he claimed that he killed someone on the East Coast and dumped the body in New York state. The FBI is fairly confident that the victim he's referring to is a woman named Deborah Feldman. She was from New Jersey and had gone missing in April 2009. Another possible Israel Keys victim is a girl named Julie Harris, who disappeared in Colville back in 1996. Her prosthetic feet were found a month after she disappeared, and her remains were discovered a year later in 1997. Israel Keys was in the area when Julie disappeared, but he denied any involvement in her case. She was actually a Special Olympics athlete. No shit. Yep. That extremes the, you know, prosthetic feet. I was like, wait, well, both special. Both feet were gone? Well, I mean, Oscar Pistorius had, was missing both his feet. What? That's a thing? Mm-hmm. Paralympics, dude. I don't know. I don't watch that stuff. <laughs> you, don't, you don't watch the special people as no. they, they run? No. 
Israel Keyes is also pointed at for being involved in the murders of 56-year-old Mary Cooper and her 27-year-old daughter, Susanna Stodden, who were shot in Washington State in 2006. In 2020, an FBI agent told 48 Hours, quote, We believe that 11 is the total number of victims, but only three of Israel Keyes' victims have, pos- have been positively identified. Israel Keyes said that he planned on leaving Alaska and travel through areas where bad storms had torn through and find new victims while working as a contractor. One of his goals was to build a house where he could imprison his victims. All right, Buffalo Bill. Yeah, but that that breaks his whole M.O. Mm-hmm. So, like I said earlier, it's, it's about upping the ante. He's gotten bored he, just traveling yeah. and killing. It's... I want to... He's progressing. Yeah. He never quite hit a berserker mode, though, which you, which is normally what gets these guys caught. Yeah. I mean, he was ramping up to it, but he never quite got there. Well, I mean, he kidnapped and murdered a girl in his hometown. Well, not hometown, but like the town he lived in. Yeah, but I mean, m- most serial killers do that. You know, it's he's a special case where he had these weird murder vacations. I mean, everybody's got to take a vacation every now and then, I guess. Well, it is summer slaughter, so that's... It is summer slaughter. Which is why we picked this one. God, you're going to ruin vacations for me. (laughs) While he was in custody, he seemed to find joy in limiting the flow of information he gave to police. He told them he'd like a quick execution date and that he dreaded life behind bars for an indefinite amount of time and didn't want his mother and his daughter to suffer because of his crimes. He told law enforcement, quote, I want my kid to have a chance to grow up. You know, she's in a safe place now. She's not going to see any of this. I want her to have a chance to grow up and not have all this hanging over her head. <laughs> Gross. Dude, well, here, <laughs> if you don't want your daughter to have to live with the shame of her father being a fucking serial killer, then don't be a fucking serial killer. Correct. I mean, it's not hard. He offered details about the courier murders, Bill and Lorraine, as a bargaining chip with the police. Yeah, I believe he, he one of his like infamous lines, and I think I said it already, was, I think I'm done talking today until I get like an Americano and a cigar. <laughs> Ugh, I hate that laugh. Yeah, I know, dude, I don't like it either. It, it's, it's grimy, but that is identical to the laugh. In the I fucking, know, he creeps like, me out. Dude, it was Americanos, peanut butter Snickers, and cigars. That's what he like. The cops had to give him, like, trying to get more information out of him. But uh, total piece of shit. Well, yeah. Total, like, probably the most infuriating person we're gonna cover, in my opinion. <laughs> Eric is not a fan. I, I hate this fucking guy. Like, he is the most cringy wannabe edgelord I've ever fucking seen. Edgelord. <laughs> He's like, look how fucking edgy I am. Like, I drink Americanos and smoke cigars, and I'm just like, fuck That's you, super dude. Super cool. But I do like the peanut butter scooters, so. They are delicious. <laughs> I will give him that one. Israel Keys ultimately committed suicide in his Anchorage jail cell on December 1st, 2012. He did leave a suicide note, and... Uh, it's really fucking weird. 
uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I, mean, I he, have it. He straight up told the cops he was going to kill himself, too. Like, that's the crazy thing. And they didn't put and him on suicide watch? He was no, on he, suicide watch. Well, they still gave him shit to kill himself with, basically. They fucked up and left a razor with him. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah. But they took him off a of suicide watch when they transferred him to a, a low security deal. And the guy who was supposed to be watching him was like on a smoke break or some shit. Ugh. So anyway, but I Sam, can read it. I can read it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, I wish I had a sick new metal beat to like put behind this while you read no. it. But <laughs> um, it's like it's long. I don't know if you want me to read it or not. It's it's a god awful piece of slam poetry. You could read. Is it. that what that is? It's, yes. He was into slam poetry. That's what this is supposed it's to be. It's new metal slam poetry. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's a song. He wrote a new metal song. He was super into like new metal music. That's I think that's why I like just despise this fucking guy. I'm actually okay with you not reading it. And okay. No, <laughs> so, no, fucking read it. No, don't read the whole thing. Read the read it, the damn note. It's it's great. It's a great way to end the show. Okay, it's really long, so buckle in, y'all. Where will you go, you clever little worm, if you bleed your host dry? Back in your ride, the night is still young. Streetlights push back the black, neat rows. Off to the right, a graveyard appears. Lines of stones, bodies molder below. Turn away quick, bob your head to the seat. As straight through that stop sign, you roll loaded truck with lights off, slams into you broadside. Your flesh smashed at metal explodes. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't even fucking make sense. I hate this stupid letter. Insert... Like, really, really badass guitar riff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, imagine corn playing. Yeah. Or Linkin Park while this plays. I was going to go more with Linkin Park with this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Linkin Park or corn, one of the two. You may have been set free. You loved living your life. Fate had its own scheme, crushed like a bug. You still die. Oh, that's this is actually the spot where they would have a badass guitar it's riff. Fucking atrocious. <laughs> Sam is not a friend of slave poetry. <laughs> Does it make sense? Can we get Wes Borland on this track? <gasps> Soon now you'll join those ranks of dead, or your ashes will their ashes the wind will soon blow. Family and friends will shed a few tears. Pretend it's off to heaven you go. But the realist is you were just bones and meat, and with your brain died also your soul. Send the dying to wait for their death in the quick comfort of retirement homes. Quietly or quickly, it, it was like an like a SIC. Uh-huh. It was like a C in commons. Like it, it had horrible handwriting and they couldn't really decipher a lot of it. Well that was probably covered in blood. Possibly. Um, so it's quietly or quickly say it's for the best. It's best for you, so their fate you'll not know. Turn a blind eye back to the screen. Soak in your reality shows. Stand in front of your mirror and you preen in a plastic castle you call home. Land of the free, land of the lie, land of scheme, Americanize. Consume what you don't need, stars you idolize. Pursue what you admit is a dream. 
than its American dye. Get in your big car so you can get to work fast on the roads made of dinosaur bones. <laughs> can you please stop doing that? I have fucking nightmares about that shit. <laughs> right. Punch in on the clock and sit on your ass playing stupid ass games on your phone. Paper on your wall says you got smarts. The test that you took told you so. But you will still crawl like the vermin you are once your precious power grid's blown. Land of the free, land of the lie, land of the scheme, Americanize. Now that I have held you tight, I will tell you a story. Great. Speak soft in your ear so you know that it's true. You are my love at first sight, and though you're scared to be near me, my words penetrate your thoughts now in an intimate prelude. It's not a good enough reason to use the word penetrate. <laughs> i looked in your eyes they were so dark warm and trusting as though you had not a worry or care the more guileless the game the better the potential to fill up those poles with your fear your face framed in dark curls like a portrait the sun shone through the highlights of red great what color What color, I wonder, and how straight it will turn, plastered back with the sweat of your blood. Your wet lips were a promise of a secret unspoken, nervous laugh as it burst like a pulse of blood from your throat. There will be no more laughter here. I feel your body tense up, my hand now on your shoulder, your eyes. Forget the lady called Luck. She does not abide near me. For her powers don't extend to those who are dead. Do we have to keep going? There's only like three more paragraphs. Oh, I'm going to nap on the floor. I, it's fucking atrocious. I know. This is awful. So there was a part that wasn't legible. And then it continues. Would that I could keep you, let you be the master of your own fate, knowing full well what's at stake. My pretty captive butterfly, colorful wings my hand smears. Somehow I repaint them with punishment and tears. Violent metamorphosis, emerge my dark moth princess. I would come often and worship on the altar of your flesh. You shudder with revulsion and try to shrink far from me. I'll have you tied down and begging to become my Stockholm sweetie. (laughs) Okay, talk is over. Words are placid and weak. Back it with action or it all comes off cheap watch close while i work now feel the electric shock of my touch open my trembling flower or your petals i'll crush fuck this guy dude what the fuck all right i think he killed himself because he's a gigantic fucking pussy right well yeah he's a coward he never he couldn't deal with jail time no. He couldn't deal with being Because he's a scrawny little well, dude. He was I mean he was six one. But No, I mean skinny. But he never fully accepted the true role of the serial killer behind bars, which is to be the, the boogeyman. You're you're the fucking terrifying monster. <laughs> and he's just this fucking nerd. Don't you ever bring my boogly into this. He is the boogeyman. No, he is a good boogeyman. This man is a joke. (laughs) 
he he's just a fucking coward. But I mean, he's not a, he's not some criminal fucking genius. He yeah. he is very thorough and well thought out and a yes. massive piece of shit. Yes, super duper piece of shit. Yes, the stinkiest of shits. Yes, but. I think the reason he didn't want any of his crimes and shit exposed or talked about was because of who his victims were. I'm wanting to say that there was probably some children involved in some of these. Maybe. Like, all right. So in prison, the worst thing you can do is, is like be a a pedophile or a child rapist. Oh yeah. They -hmm. will fucking kill you like immediately. Well, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well deserving. I'm glad it's the line that they that they won't cross in prison. But we know he may or may not have done some necrophilia things. Um, that has been speculated. It's not fact, but it's speculated. So I don't know if there's a line for that in prison or what. But he was like, I don't want this shit done. Like, why give up the three murders that he did? Yeah, well, yeah. And not the rest of it. Yeah. Well, his... But he wanted to be, like, fucking remembered like a Ted Bundy. And he can say all day long he doesn't. He he famously said, I don't want them to make me a a fucking Dateline special. You know, with all this true crime shit going on now that everybody talks about. Well, fuck you, dude, because we're talking about you. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there's like a 2020 or a dateline about mm-hmm. him. Oh, yeah. All of it. So his mother, four sisters, and three brother-in-laws were the only people to be at his funeral on December 8th of 2012. And that's all I'll say about I'm him. shocked they even fucking showed up. <laughs> Guys. That's my part. Welcome to Summer of Slaughter. Yay! Hope uh, hope everybody. You've already ruined one. vacationing, and arts and crafts, and slam poetry. <laughs> I know Sam's never. Oh gonna- God forbid! I ruined slam poetry and new metal no for everybody. No snaps for him. No snaps for him. <laughs> what? It was fucking atrocious. <laughs> the last part was like the most okay-ish part, and that's not even saying much. I just hated it the least. <laughs> what the the fucking fact that nobody showed up at his funeral but his family <laughs> that was not part of the poem but okay. the last couple parts of the poem I hated the least you know you probably like giggled while he wrote it he's like this is a masterpiece oh yeah this you, is you know, he like had his fucking dick hard he's like they're gonna fucking make this song about me <laughs> like I'm sure he's like, West Borland's going to shop this or Corn's going to cover it. It's going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> False. He has podcasters making fun of him now. Yep. Yes. Fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that has been the first episode of Summer of Slaughter. We hope you fucking enjoyed it. Hope so. Come back next week. Next week. It's a killer good time. It is a killer of a good time. Christian. We're going to slay. <laughs> well, like like I said earlier, next week is not going to be a serial killer. But maybe we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. There's speculation, but Yes. We do love specs. There are some spooky aspects to it. There are spooky. 
And there's a lot of slaughter going on. So lots of, lots of blood. Christian, drop the socials. If you want to hear more stories like this and other events, make sure you guys are following us. Make sure you guys are on the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the good stuff. Everything. Uh, we're ready to get. We are fully ready for summer slaughter. It is going to be a really good time. Swing. Make sure your downloads are on auto download. Make sure you're subscribed um, and you're notified when the new episodes drop. Yes. That is a huge help. Then you're going to be help. behind. And nobody likes to be behind. Yeah, unless you like binge listen, and that's cool too. Yeah. Um, I binge listen. We all do. But yeah, guys, thank you so much, and we're excited for this summer of slaughter. Yay. Yay. We'll see you next Friday. Bye, Bye guys.